It's wonderful for me to come to you and bring you the good news of Jesus Christ, the love of God, the grace of God. I trust that you're going to be deeply impacted by the message that I have for you today. Today is going to be more of a Bible study. We're going to go through Philemon, the whole of Philemon. This is a wonderful, life-changing letter. I think if we've only had Philemon, it was the only letter we've had in the New Testament, we would have come to this conclusion that whatever Christianity was, was life-changing, it was something new, something absolutely revolutionary, bringing life, unity, restoration, uh, reconciliation, peace. So yeah, this is going to be a very nice, beautiful uh, kind of historic study of Philemon. I trust this is going to bless you. Well, before I get into any of that, uh, some of you that follow my ministry would realize that I am not in Zambia. I'm still in South Africa. I was supposed to have been in Zambia today. Most probably I would have been preaching in the local church there this morning. Uh, and I was supposed to have arrived yesterday. But I am still at home. Everything is packed in the trailer. And we literally have nowhere to go because of this. We took our vehicle in for uh, some repairs three weeks ago. And there was just some very minor things that had to be done on the vehicle, of which one was the change of the yoke in the prop shaft or the universal in the prop shaft. So they must just change that and rebalance it and put it back. There was the ever so slight uh, vibration at about, let's say, 75 miles an hour or 120, 125 kilometers per hour on the vehicle. And I thought, well, I can feel it and let's rather fix it before I go. I got my vehicle back and it was worse than ever. It was leaking oil. It was vibrating on 40, 80, uh, 110 kilometers per hour. I took it back several times and it seems to me as if they cannot repair this. Uh, they just that what's end. They don't know what to do. So um, I think we're going to get used parts, put that in, see if that works. Other than that, we'll have to get original parts from Japan. And they said to me that can take one month. So we really sit at a in a very difficult predicament. I can use one of my older vehicles and drive up and do the building project. Um, but if I do that, uh, I would not be able to do the outreaches that I plan to do. So we would only be able to do the building and no outreaches again. And we've done that now for two or three times. Very little outreach on the outreach side and most of it on the um, building side. And my heart and my passion is to preach. And I want to share the gospel also doing the building. So we're going to see uh, how that is going to work out. The vehicle that we used last time was the one that was an accident. That's not really made for that area. So we'll have to use that again. And in the hope that we don't run into troubles with that when we are there. So, uh, yeah, we are thinking what to do. Uh, I think by the end of the week, I'll have a kind of idea on what we're going to do. Uh, we're waiting for used parts. And if they put that in and it is perfect, then I immediately get in the car and I go. If that doesn't work, we're going to then wait for parts from Japan, and that will take a month. Then I'll decide if I go up now. Um, we can postpone this with a month or so, and then go up and just stay there and do as much work as possible. Uh, yeah, on the other side, we have the work permit that we have to have a certain amount of days that we have to be in Zambia. So we also sit with that because we have to reapply in another year for a work permit and if we haven't been a certain amount of days in the country they will not give us a work permit again well i would like for you guys to simply pray for me as pertain to that and what to do uh, the lord will give guidance and tell us what is the best thing to do okay so we are getting into philemon and we're going to talk about practical christianity i've titled it uh, the message this way christianity in everyday life philemon a view into the dawn of the new world. A view into the dawn of a new world. We're going to look at how Philemon, Paul, 
uh, Onesimus, slavery basically came to a certain end in this small household through the understanding of new creation. I think this is a relevant topic if we look at it because in Christianity I do think we have to grapple with what it means if we say we are new creation. We have to think of what does grace mean? What does it amount to? How does the salvation that God works in us both to will as as much as to do this living out of the salvation? What can we expect in the new creation? And we're going to look at how it looked in those days. Well, before we get into the word, let us pray together. Father, thank you so much that we can look at your gospel, your good news, what you've done in the death and the resurrection of Jesus, what it means for us today, and how we can live from this truth, what we can expect from this truth, not as people who must bring forth your your works by our power, but as people that find your grace bringing forth what is new in our lives. Amen. Earlier this week, I was speaking to a preacher about grace, and he said to me, <clears throat> I think it was earlier this week, it was last week, and he said to me that we have to do our part and Jesus will do his part. So I asked him, what percentage of the glory would then go to you and what percentage would then go to God? Can we say uh, 10% to you because you've at least done your part and where you became weak, you asked God for help and then he helped you. So what percentage is you and what percentage is God? And then we were debating this point because he says that we as Christians must also do something. It is not just for God to do things in us. So I said to him that he reminds me of the story of the elephant and the ant <clears throat> that were walking across the bridge in Africa. And the ant said to the elephant, listen man, we're really shaking this bridge, aren't we? Uh, or this bridge is really shaking under our weight. We're shaking the bridge. Um, I used that and the guy said to me, well, uh, whatever percentage would be, it would be true that the ant is also shaking the bridge. Well, let's put it this way. If the elephant was inside the ant and all of the ant became elephant, it would have been something different. And that is more what we see in Christ. It is all to God's glory. It's everything that God does. So when we look at Christianity and we look at the fruit when we start to talk about fruit or effect or what something amounts to what it means to us we're not going back to the old system of the law and when I refer to the law I'm basically referring not to what Paul would refer to as the law but more to what people in the middle ages would have thought the law was uh, Martin Luther and those people they would think the law was the Catholic institution's uh, rules on how you had to live in order to uh, make it out of purgatory and prayer and those kind of things. We're not going back to laws or what we would have made out laws to be in our lives. In other words, like the old typical way of we pushing through through hard works trying to bring our side uh, of the commitment to the table and Jesus brings his part to the to the table. No, when we look at fruit, when it comes to the message of grace, we are looking at it the way Paul dealt with it in this case. And I think this is going to be very powerful. We have to conclude at the end of the day, after everything that we have done in the kingdom, that we have done much and that it was not I but Christ in me. That's how it must work. So that's, it's like a, I don't want to say a fine balance, but it is a clever unity between us and God, wherein we will do a lot of good. Like Paul said, I do more than the other apostles. I work harder than all of them. Yet it's not I, but it is Christ who does it in me. So earlier, um, I don't know if it was this week again or last week. <laughs> I was very, very busy this week, so I can't remember the dates exactly, but I think it was earlier this week. 
I put something on Facebook where I asked this question. I said, how should Christians treat illegal immigrants that are already in the country? What is the Christian living? What is the the life we can expect uh, the Lord to manifest in us as pertaining to illegal immigrants? I got some heavy reaction because... To some, it was definitely a loaded question, and some might even have thought, and I can rightfully think why they would think that. Um, They would think I'm just stirring the pot, the political pot, which I was not doing. This I was not advocating for any of the political parties whatsoever. I was simply standing for something like Philemon. I mean, I was reading Philemon. I was thinking of the new life in the church. I was thinking of Paul in jail, blessing people that curse you. I was thinking of Matthew 5, 6, and 7, uh, Jesus teaching on blessed are these and blessed are those, and uh, the change that the new creation brought in this world. And on that foundation, I asked that question, and the hope was that Christians can um, grapple with, I don't know what other word to use, uh, wrestle with the idea on what does new creation look like in this world and then with that question asking themselves and looking into themselves at what God is actually doing in us and what God is bringing forth in us it's like Philippians God is working in us both to will and to do now I got heavy reaction on that Uh, a lot of people were very blessed with what I said others were uh, very upset it was a a question about Christianity it didn't have anything to do with the political statements that was going on on the news. It wasn't aimed at legislation and open border policy or none of that. It was simply a question we as Christians, when we deal with illegal immigrants that has entered our countries, because I've heard after I put this post up, that in the United States they have about 300,000. Now, how true it is, you can't trust these news stations. Um, They say 300,000 illegal people flooding over the borders per month. Now, I think if it was 300,000, 400, or a million, or two million a month, the question becomes more and more valid. How do you, the more people flood, the more valid the question. Since the whole country is being flooded with illegal immigrants, since there is, let's say, a open border policy and governments don't do the right thing, how would Christ shine his light through us as the church? What is it that God will work in us both to will and to do from a new creation perspective wherein Jesus is Lord and we stand under his jurisdiction and our citizenship is truly from heaven. Uh, That was what that question is about and I think we will have to ask those questions. I said to one of my preacher friends, we as, as preachers that are getting a bit older, we need to know that there's a younger generation, people that are Uh, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 35, 40 years old. And these people are getting into the message of grace and they will stand on our shoulders and they need to be able to see further. We need to lift them. We need to show them. We need to uh, be at a place where we share the gospel in a way that it would not simply be a theory to them, but where it's something that they can live by. It's something that can give them life. It will be something that is answers to problems that they have in their homes, in their churches, and in their community. And that's why we will have a look at Philemon. This is a letter that addresses that very thing. And this was 2,000 years ago. Now, uh, Philemon, uh, I'm going to start out with this letter. We're not going to read the letter to start with. I'm just going to start and uh, just give a picture on who the characters are. First of all, Philemon. Philemon got saved under the ministry of Paul. Philemon was most probably a middle upper class person. He had a slave called Onesimus and he had a house church. And this was close to Colossae where he had this house church. He lived in that area. It was about 80 miles from Ephesus where I believe Uh, It's reasonable to have thought that Paul was writing this letter from when he was in jail in Ephesus. Some scholars say 
uh, that it was from Rome. Uh, the way I think if you say to somebody, listen, get a guest room ready for me. I'm about to be released through your prayers and uh, uh, the Holy Spirit's power from jail, and then I will have a place to come and stay. I don't think he's traveling from Rome to Colossi. I mean, that is very, I don't know how long travel that would be just to find the guest room. No, it, I think he had to be close. I think letters like uh, Colossians, Philippians, uh, Philemon itself, if the letter to the Ephesians was written from jail there and could be distributed in that area. That's what I was thinking. So Philemon was a person that was a maybe a business owner. He must have traveled to Ephesus to and fro. History tells us that Paul hasn't been to Colossae by the time he wrote this letter to Philemon, meaning that Philemon had to travel to Ephesus to hear Paul. So maybe he was to one of his business trips, heard Paul, and then received Jesus. He got saved. He's a disciple of Paul. He is a, a son of Paul, if you want to call it like that. Paul led him to the Lord. Now, he's also having his own house church. That is important to understand. He is somebody that is a believer. He's a wonderful Christian. He loves his church. He loves people. He cares for the church. Wonderful guy. But he also has a slave. Now, we would immediately say, but how can a person like that have a slave? How can slavery even be uh, part of this man's life? The moment he becomes a Christian, he should just let go of all his slaves. Well, that's not how it worked back then. Uh, everything that got done, got done by slavery. Slavery was like electricity to us or computers or the telephone. It was like a vehicle. We would have. It's something you could not even imagine you could be without. Imagine I go and I'm saying to you, listen, man, electricity is not moral. Uh, we're harming the planet. We must switch all electricity off. What are you going to say to me? You're going to say to me, it's crazy. Uh, we cannot do that. Now, we're going to see how Paul uh, deals with this slavery situation. Okay, the second person that I want to look at is Paul himself. Paul was at this person. Uh, at this point, he was in holding cells, was in jail. Jail then was not as what we know jail today. It was basically more like holding cells where they would keep you. It could be up to a period of two years to decide what to do with you. Once the court case has now been finished and everything, then they can decide what your fate is. Are you going to be beaten? Are you going to get a fine? Or are you going to go to jail? Um, or or not, not go to jail? Are you going to be... Um, killed so that's basically what it would be you're just going to be beaten pay a fine be killed or freed that's more or less or be tortured a little bit and then then go that is how it worked now paul was in the holding cells called jail um and that he would kind of be proud of paul wasn't ashamed of being in jail he says i was in jail for the lord jesus because what paul would do is he would look at the life of jesus and then see that whole life playing off in in him in his own life and how all of those things are formed and shaped in his life he saw that as the way the kingdom works is you'll be persecuted for righteousness but you'll be you'll have humbleness and prayer and a heart for even those that oppress you, talking about his own people, the Jews, wanting salvation for them. And he would then see his life going into the life of Jesus, which Jesus lived on the earth, and that he was empowered by Christ to find the same quality of life. Like I said, he was not ashamed to um, to be in prison. Okay, then we're going, going to look at Onesimus. Onesimus was Philemon's slave. He was called useful. That is the slave's name, although he was not that useful. Uh, back then, they would have these names that they would call people. They would say, well, useful, come here. You're useful for this. You're useful for that. Or you could say sweeper or window cleaner or that it is. Very, um, I, I don't think that is a real way when you would call people uh, when you respect them as a person. But that, that's why, that's how it worked back then in the culture of the day. Um, he was not very use, useful to Philemon. The reason why he wasn't very useful to Philemon was he ran away. Now, back then, if you had a slave and he ran away, the consequences of that would be devastating. You're either going to be beaten severely, you can be tortured, 
uh, or you can even uh, have the death penalty, depending on what happened. If you were busy inciting other slaves to run away, they can get rid of you. So he ran away from Philemon, and then he came to Paul <laughs> in Ephesus, came to him in jail, and there he, this Onesimus, got saved. So it wasn't very useful to Philemon. Um, he ran away. He had a price on his head, probably death. It was possible that he could have had that on his head. The reason why it could even have been death, in my opinion, was that he even stole something. Most probably he stole something because in the letter we're going to see how Paul deals even with a slave that ran away, completely broke the law, came to him in jail and was hiding, wanted to hide with Paul and actually came to speak to Paul and needed some wisdom and advice. Paul led him to the Lord. He got saved. And we're going to see, we even see in the letter how Paul says, listen, if he owes you anything, put it on my account. So, yes, there was some outstanding debt there. Or there was something that was stolen. And Paul, we were going to see how he handled the situation. It's beautiful. Uh, so um, he must have known Paul because he went to Paul after his escape. I think how he has known Paul is because he's, Boss uh, Philemon, Philemon got saved and then the church got started. Obviously, a lot was said about Paul. And Paul was then seen as a good person, a loving person, a person that can that, that wants to save, a person that would have good advice. So when he ran away, and this is the problem with many of these uh, people in those days, when they would run away, uh, they wouldn't know where to go. Because you would have a mark on you. You cannot go to another place. You have to flee very far. If you were a, a, a slave that got a, that escaped, there was something on your head. You know, you, People would want you. And if you go into slavery after that, it's going to be harsh for you because you're a slave that escaped. Other people wouldn't really want you because if they take you, then they are partners in the crime. That was one of the things Paul had to deal with. He couldn't hide him there. He could have said, man, here's some money. I'll say nothing. Run. Run for it. But he didn't do that. He, back, he sent him back. Imagine that. He sent him back to the slave master. That's what he did. Now, slavery back then, like I said, was like electricity. You were the property of the master. Um, it could not just be stopped. Because if slavery was just abandoned right there, where would the thousands and thousands and thousands of people have gone? How would they have lived? There wasn't a system that what we ha like what we have today with in politics or in uh, governments where they could care for these people. It would also be impossible to get the system going quick enough before we find many of these people starve and die. So what a lot of these people would do, even after they were released, and we'll still get a little bit into that, even after they would rele were released, they just... Because you could be released as a slave. The owner could let you go or you could buy your freedom. At least there was a law where you could buy your freedom. So if he saved up his pocket money for long enough, he could buy his own freedom. But after buying his own freedom, how are you going to start? Where are you going to go? How are you going to start a business? You are already at the bottom of the social rank. How are you going to get to a place where they honor you as more than just an ex-slave? Who's going to do business with you? Who's going to give you that, make that loan that you can start the business and those kind of things? It's going to be very, very difficult for you. Plus, you've been in slavery for many years. Your mind is the mind of a slave. You think like a slave. Yeah, people would just go back after their freedom and continue to simply just work for the boss, their old boss. And now they would get a salary for it and not just lodging and food, but they'll get a salary, but they would still be in, the, in a very difficult uh, predicament. So it could not just be stopped. The social reformist ideas would not allow for thousands to just be loosed. Where will they go? It would be impossible. Although the, uh, Paul stood against this, and we're going to see this in this letter, and wanted freedom, but he had a certain way where he was doing it. A time bomb on slavery was brought by what Paul has done. And this time bomb would be human rights wherein you, from the perspective of who true, who you are as a Christian and a brother, look at the one that is your slave, who is also a Christian and a brother. Uh, Paul was not allowed to harbor a runaway slave. He 
he had to do something about this. Now, I want to also uh, bring to your attention as the background on all of this, a letter written by Pliny the Younger to a man called Sibinianus, which is a difficult name. I think I will just call this person Sibai, you know, because Sibinianus is difficult. Maybe I can get it uh, pronounced all the time correctly. Now, Pliny the Younger was um, a person that wrote a lot of letters in his day. And this was also in the 70s after Christ. And he was in the very same scenario that what Paul was in. There was a person who's slave, but not completely the same. He was a free person, but he worked for uh, Sibinianus and he ran away and he came to Pliny the Younger. And Pliny the Younger then wrote a letter similar to what Paul wrote. And what we're going to do is we're going to put these two letters next to each other. And we're going to look at how Christianity, new creation, changed the whole scene instead of a person, Pliny, that kind of in love, please, for um, this young man. They don't have the name. And uh, please to Sibinianus to say, listen, let this guy back. You know, and we're going to see what the scenario would be before and after as we compare these two letters. Now, Pliny the Younger wrote where he became famous. He wrote about the eruption at uh, Vesuvius. Remember when Pompeii was destroyed, uh, that eruption there. And what he did was he wrote about uh, Pliny the Elder, which was his uncle, which loved... Um, history and he loved uh, science and all of that he was a naturalist so he was thinking man I want to know what's going on in the world I want to know what's going on in creation and all those kind of things Uh, and then when this massive volcano just erupted he got on a boat and head right for it and that's where he died he came to the shores of Italy there and um, the he was overcome by the gas and died on the beach and then the people that went with him the team of people that went with him they then told the story to Pliny the Younger and Pliny the Younger wrote this you can go and listen to a 10 minute reading of this writing uh, on YouTube if you want to just put in the death of Pliny the Elder by Pliny the Younger, and they will you can you can listen to this. Very interesting to hear what was going on there. So this Pliny the Younger, uh, he was also somebody that was kind of high up. He was a senator. He was a council at a point. He was a lawyer, a politician, uh, a senior civil servant, and he was sent to the northern parts of Turkey where he had to govern and rule. And he also wrote directly to the senator regularly not the senator the um to the emperor trajan he regularly wrote to him and told him ask him you know and one of the things that he would ask is how would and i hope the camera is not messing things up there it seems like it um he would write to him and he would say to him listen there are christians that came into our area and how do we deal with these kind of difficult people and one of the things that would be discussed obviously would be that they are not worshiping the idols they are not uh, towing the line doing their civil duties and they now calling they are under they want to stand under the jewish laws and be exempt from worshiping the idols saying that they are truly the jews the people of god but they're not circumcised they don't look like jews uh, how to deal how do we deal with these people and obviously if people don't toe the line they were punished sadly that was the case so now you've got an idea on who this person would be Pliny the younger now Pliny the younger is now um he wrote a letter and i'm going to read you that letter and then we're going to get to the letter of philemon You told me you had been angry with a freeman of yours, and now he's come to see me. So it says here that they had communication with one another. So we find here now that Pliny, very high up, Sibite, middle, and then you find the slave, which we don't know the name, really at the bottom of the social order. He says, you told me that you've been angry with a freeman of yours, and he's now come to see me. So there were fightings between the freeman and this Sabinianus. He then came to Pliny and he was speaking to him, complaining to him, and he ran away. It says, he threw himself at my feet and clung to me as though I were you. 
He wept a lot. He asked for a lot, though he kept quiet about a lot too. So this guy was begging him, saying, listen, man, and this is what's going to take place. Although he was a freeman and he ran away, he could be beaten. He could be tortured. Uh, some things bad could have happened to him, and he didn't want this. There was anger taking place here, and there were laws. So now we find plenty dealing with this. He says, listen, he's run to me. He's begged me as if he, as if I was you. So that was basically the right way wherein he had to deal with it, and that is go and fall at the feet of your master, beg for mercy, hope for his grace. That's what it is all about. It says, to sum it up, he made me believe he was genuinely sorry. I think he's a changed character because he really does feel that he did wrong. So we find here that he's saying, listen, this guy that you've been angry with, he's now come to me. Uh, he's really begged for mercy and that I would help him. I think he's changed. He was in the wrong. And um, I do feel that he also knows that he is in the wrong. He says, yes, I know you are angry. And I know, too, that you have the right to be angry. So you can see that he is using the law of the day. He's using the systems of the day. And he says, you've got a right to be angry. You've got a right to feel the way you feel. He says, but mercy earns most praise when anger is fully justified. What he's doing here is he's just looking at how this man would look in the community. And this is what he says. Mercy earns most praise when anger is fully justified. So what he's saying to him is, listen, if you can be merciful to this guy, you would look better in the eye of society. Once you love this fellow, and I hope you will love him again, for the moment, it's enough if you let yourself be placided. In other words, become placid. Just, It's enough for you to just to become placid now. Listen to what he says. You can always be angry again if he deserves it, in other words, calm down now, let him come back to you, and then you can be angry with him again if he truly deserves it. But as for now, in other words, if he's not, uh, if his motives are not pure and he shows any signs of what he showed before, then you can really be angry with him. So it's not that you must completely get rid of your anger. Just be calm for now. You can always be angry with him again. And you'll have all the, all the more reason if you've been placid now. He's young, he's in tears, and you have a kind heart. Make all of that count. So what he's saying is, since you are a kind person, be kind to him uh, and make this count. Because the way you make it count is you're getting a guy back to con that can come and do your work for you. So get him back for now. Look good in the eyes of the community, and then you can always have it out with him later on. He says, don't torture him. And don't torture yourself either. So now I think the torture here, in my opinion, uh, was that if you were a worker and you were f free and you ran away, I don't think you qualified to be beaten. Uh, so I think he's giving him some legal advice here. He says, don't torture him. Don't beat him because you might get a case against you later on. You know, So don't do that. And then he says, don't torture yourself. Anger is always torture for a soft heart like yours. So what he's doing is he's saying, this man is bad, he's not good, what he's done is wrong, he's now repented, it looks a bit better, you're a soft kind of a person, make the best of it, get him back to you, let him work for you, and he's basically dealing with this the way any person that doesn't believe in Jesus would deal with it that tries to make the best of the matter. He says here in the next paragraph, I'm afraid it will look as though I'm putting pressure on you, not simply making a request if I join prayers to his, but I'm going to do it anyway. So I'm going to put pressure on you anyway. And all the more fully and thoroughly because I've given him a sharp and severe talking to, and I've warned him clearly that I won't make such a request again. So he says, listen, I'm requesting, and I'm basically telling you, you will take him back. That's what you're going to do, and you're not going to beat him, and you're a kind person. Make this look good, and he just kind of orders him. So you find this hierarchy. You find the guy high up telling the guy in the middle what to do about the guy at the bottom, and let's say that this young man did go back. You wouldn't have found a lot changed it would still be the guy high up 
the guy in the middle who has his slave. And the relationship there would still be a slave um, and a master relationship where there was a bit of peace now and the guy could come back, somebody did speak, and he was thoroughly warned that he will not do this again and that he would lose his job, he would not have any money. Now, with that said, we're going to look at Philemon. I apologize already if this message is a little bit longer, but I do think that we have to get to a place where we look at how Christianity looks in everyday life. So we're going to read, as we've read through that whole letter, we will read through Philemon and look at what Paul did here. Now we're getting to the meat of this whole thing. Paul, a prisoner of King Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to our beloved Philemon, our colleague and partner. So he says here that uh, he's a colleague. In other words, he's also a preacher and he's a partner in the kingdom of God. To Aphia, our sister, and Achippus, our comrade in arms, and to God's people who meet in your house, may grace and peace be upon you from God our Father and King Jesus the Lord. I always thank my God when your name comes up in my prayers because I've heard of your love and your faithful loyalty towards the Lord Jesus and to all God's people. So the first thing Paul does here is he's not, he's not boosting the man in his own ego so much. He's saying that I see you are faithful in your loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ and to all God's people. So what he's saying is I see that you're a servant. That is what he is saying. And where we find in the, in the letter of Pliny, it is, you know, you are so good, you know, you are of higher order, and you actually deserve that this person should have treated you well. He says, no, I see that you are treating people well. You are a servant of the people. What is he talking about? He's talking about the new creation that has entered into the world, demonstrated by Jesus Christ as a person who became a servant of all. He says, I already see this. And this is important why he says this, because Paul says, I'm seeing Christ kind of living in you or living in you. I see the character traits of the Spirit of God in you. And that's why it gives me hope to basically attempt something that has never been attempted in the history of of the world. What is going on here has not really been attempted, taking new creation as pertaining to this uh, Philemon, also Onesimus, and where Paul is now putting the one arm around Onesimus, the other arm around Philemon, and bringing reconciliation from a new platform where you're not going to find boss, slave, servant relationship at the end, but where you'll find the man did go back, there was restitution, there was healing, and there was new creation. That is important. So he says here, I see that you love the Lord's people. I see that you love God. And I think this is very important. If we want Christianity in the here and now, in our relationships with people, in our marriage, relationship with our children, people around us, if we have a foundation of Jesus Christ in both people, we now have a foundation uh, from where we can truly sort out our problems, making the new kingdom the reality and the truth from where we think, where we don't make the new kingdom monopoly money, you know, wherein we are just thinking it's not real, it's fake money, it's not the truth, but where we take it as the real truth. Jesus is truly Lord, he's truly king, I'm truly under him, his kingdom is truly shining forevermore, I am what I am by mercy, you are what you are by mercy. The Lord Jesus is the first and final word on everything. His spirit empowers us. Will we use those as building blocks for our foundation from where we treat one another? This is what Paul is doing here. Verse 6. My prayer is this, that the partnership which goes with your faith may have its powerful effect in realizing every good thing that is at work in us to lead us into King Jesus. What is he saying? He's saying, I pray that our partnership that we have, I led you to the Lord, uh, Philemon, and you accepted the Lord. And we are now colleagues, meaning I don't see myself just higher than you and that kind of a thing. You are also in the work of God. And 
what I hope is that this conversation that we're going to have, our partnership that we have, that this will end up in in you realizing, and I think Paul was also pointing the finger to himself as well as to Onesimus, that we realize every good thing that is at work in us to lead us into the life of King Jesus. So as we talk about this thing in this letter, I hope that we can realize what's truly going on, what God is working in us. I'm thinking of Philippians where Paul says that um, it's Christ who, the, the good work that he started, he will finish because it's him that works in you both to will and to do. So now work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, you know, for God start, for what God started, he will end. He works in you to will and to do. Work out the salvation. So what he's saying is, is salvation is needed as pertaining to this relationship with this young man that ran away from you, that stole something from you, that received Jesus. And this salvation, how does it look? What would it be like? I trust that as we talk about this, we will see how God is working something in us that has really never been. It's new creation. It's a new life. Let's read verse 7. You see, my dear brother, your love gives me so much joy and comfort. You have refreshed the hearts of God's people. So he says, I see that you're a God man. Because of all this, I could be very bold in King Jesus and order you to do the right thing. He says, because I know you're a believer and um, because I'm of the authority of an apostle and that I've led you to the Lord and so forth, I can just order you and say, I sent this young man back, forgive him. Or I could order you and say, forgive him. He's now serving me so, living forgiveness. Now listen to what he says. He says, but because of love, I'd much rather appeal to you. Yes, it's me, Paul, speaking an old man as I am now in prison for King Jesus. Now look at Paul humbling himself. He's saying, I'm not going to use authority to force down. I'm going to appeal to the love of God in his heart, that which God does in him, the working of Christ inside him, and I'm going to appeal to that. And from, from there, I trust that as I've seen the Spirit of God already working in this man, that change will come to this whole situation. So what he's saying is this. I would like for you to follow me. Maybe I, I've given a lot of information, but please follow me here. He said, um, I'd much rather appeal to you. Yes, it's me, Paul, speaking, an old man as I'm in prison for King Jesus. So he says, I come to you not as an apostle. I come to you as an old man that is in jail, and I'm a prisoner for the gospel. That's how I come to you. And then it says, and here is his appeal, I'm appealing to you about my own son, my child, the one I have fathered here in prison, Onesimus, Mr. Useful. That's what Onesimus means. It means useful. There was a time when he was useless to you, but now he's very useful to you and to me. This is very, very important. Verse 12 says, I'm sending him to you for your decision. Yes, sending the man himself. And this means sending my own heart. Listen to what takes place here. Here's a person that illegally ran away, stole something, came to Paul. How would Paul treat a person that has broken the law, stolen something, ran away, and now come to him and he needs some form of an advice and he has to do with him? What did he do? He spoke to him about the Lord Jesus Christ. This person got saved. His life got changed. And then the new creation uh, kicked in. Paul called him his very own son his very own son. There's a new dynamic of family taking place here. This is my son. He is my heart. You'll have to hear the language that Paul is using here about a person who, according to the law, broke the law, ran away, stole something, and then met with him. He says, I'm sending him to you for your decision. Yes, sending the man himself, and this means sending my own heart. Can you see what the gospel has done there? 
I would have liked to keep him here with me so that he could have been your representative in serving me in the chains of the gospel. So what he was saying is he was saying, back then, this is how it worked. If somebody was in chains for the gospel, because the church is the body of Christ and a family, they had to help the person in jail. Remember, in jail, they didn't give you food. People, family had to bring you food. So if the church doesn't bring you food and serve you, wash your clothes, do some things for you, you're not going to have anything. So somebody needs to serve. And here we find that Onesimus was there. He got saved and he was really serving Paul. And he was saying, Paul now uses the letter and he uses new creation, new family dynamics. And he's saying the service that you were supposed to serve me with as I'm in jail, as part of the family of God, uh, you would have, you should have done this. But he is doing it now, and I would have liked to keep him for myself because he's doing a very good job. But I'm sending him back to you for your decision. You need to realize that Paul was writing this letter in the hope that Philemon would grab this, take the kingdom dynamics, new creation as truth and that this young man's life would be saved. He could have died. But Paul rested in new creation. He didn't command him. He said, I'm drawing upon Christ that is inside Philemon, and I trust the right thing will take place. Verse 14, But I didn't want to do anything without you you knowing about it. That's why when you did the splendid thing, that the situation requires, it wouldn't be under compulsion, but of your own free will. Can you see that Paul didn't want Onesimus and Philemon's relationship to be restored by commandment, but by Christ living in them? Look at what he says here, verse 15. Look at it like this. Maybe this is the reason why he was separated from you for a while, so that you could have him back forever, no longer as a slave, but much more than a slave, as a beloved brother, beloved especially to me, but how much more to you, both as part of your household and in the Lord. So what is he saying? He's saying, listen, He ran away from you, but let's look at it this way. He ran away from you so that you could have him back forever, not as a slave anymore, but now as a brother. Can you see how he uses new creation? He says, listen, you receive Jesus from me. We're going to see that in a verse now. As you receive Jesus from me, your life became new and you see the fruit in your life towards the body of Christ. We are partners here. We work together. I hope that this partnership can come to the point where we can see how the salvation is going to work out as pertaining to Onesimus. He then writes and he says, let's look at it this way. He has now served me. He's been very useful. What his name means has really come into manifestation after that he received Jesus. He is now my son. He's not a slave. He's my son. And I am now coming to you, not as an apostle commanding you to do anything, but we are now testing and putting to the test new creation. We are thinking new creation thoughts. We are thinking along the lines of new creation, what this is. And I am asking you, and I'm suggesting to you, that you take him back, not as a slave, but as your brother. He is now your brother. Take him back as your brother. Now listen to this. He would be a blessing to your household. He will be your brother in your household and is your brother in the Lord. So anyway, if you reckon me a partner in your work, receive him as though he was me. Can you see when the Bible says we are part of one body, if one suffers, then all suffer. This reality of Christ's body and we being in this, we being the family of God becomes the foundation from where he reasons this is completely different to Pliny Pliny is you know I've threatened him he's supposed to come back to you forgive him make yourself look good 
this is not new creation. This is the continuation of old creation and how he can benefit out of that to get a person to do the work and how he, this person can be scared enough not to do this wrong thing again. And this was even after the person was freed. We cannot compare these two letters with one another as pertaining to compassion, love, kindness, restoration, revolution. It is completely different. Listen to what he says here. Receive him as if you are receiving me. So, if a father had a son, that son represents the father. So he says, if you receive him, receive him as if you are receiving me. He's my son. And I'm just an old man in jail. I'm not making use of my authority. I'm pleading with you. Take him back. He's useful to me. I want to keep him here. But I don't want to keep him here uh, without your knowledge and use a letter of authority as an apostle commanding you to forgive him, just thinking of myself. No, I'd rather let him come back, that grace has its work in you and in him. And if you then, I'm using my own words, want to send him to represent you in serving me, that would be a wonderful thing. Or Paul, I believe, hints to even more. We'll get to that. Verse 17. So anyway, if you reckon me a partner in your work, receive him as though he was me. And if he has wronged you in any way or owes you anything, this means that he must have taken something, might have, must have stolen something. Put that on my account. This is me, Paul, writing this with my own hand. So he says, if he owes you anything, I'll pay it. Where does Paul get that idea? If something is needed, that a sacrifice can be made to help this person, to save him, to, rele to, to release him. Doesn't it come from Christ? Is this not new creation, new person, new citizenship, new laws, new reality working in Paul? This is what it is. And this is also what my question was based on earlier this week. How do we think new creation thoughts as pertaining to illegal immigrants? How do we think new creation thoughts as the church when it comes to uh, being ex-slaves, for instance? Let's say your father or your grandfather was a slave. How do we live now as new creation kingdom people? How do we think? What is our reality? Do we have our roots of our thoughts born from new creation? Or do we, do we still have it in the old relating to the flesh? Finding our identity in what happened to our forefathers? Or do we have it in new creation? Here we find Paul thinking new creationally if we can use it that way, if there's such a word. Listen to what he says here. And Paul is referring him back to this new creation thought, the new family thought. He says, this is Paul writing with my own hand. So he's saying, I will pay you. He says, I will pay you back. And far be it from me to remind you that you owe me your own very self so what he's saying is he says, listen, let us think of it this way. I promise that I'll pay you and I will pay you. But I also want you to know that your life, you owe your life to me. I'm the one that led you to the Lord. We don't even know exactly. History doesn't tell us what happened, why Paul would write these words. But I do believe, and my view is that he led him to the Lord. So the life that you have now, it was me bringing you the gospel. So you can find this new creation, salvation language everywhere here. Yes, my brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. So this guy might, might have said, you know, when Philemon read this, he says, man, what does Paul want from me? I can see he wants something from me. He says, yes, my brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in the King. As I write this, I'm confident that you will do what I say. So I'm hinting towards thinking of new, I want you to think of him as a brother, me as your father, me as his father. Think kingdom thoughts. Restore him as a brother. I will pay his debt. Remember how this whole thing works. Let's have the reality of the kingdom as the foundation from where we reason. And then he writes this, and this 
This is very, very powerful. He says, I write this and I'm confident that you will do what I say. In fact, I'll know you'll do more than what I say. So what was he saying? He was saying, take him in as a brother and not a slave. And what would be more than what I am actually saying here? It would be, let him free. Don't take him back just as a slave. Let him free. Free him. And even more would be, send him to Paul to come and be a servant to Paul. Set him completely free. Don't let him be a slave anymore. Don't deal with him as a brother who is also your slave. The more would be, we're ending the slavery thing. We are now walking in new creation. That is Philemon. That is so much different to Pliny the Younger and his letter. It is so much different to what could ever have taken place in the thoughts of that day. And that is, I think, a challenge to us today. How do we, as the church, look at the world? How real is new creation in everyday life? If I think of my relationship with my wife and my children, let's say one of my sons feel I've harmed him. How would we deal with it? Are we going to deal with it on what, what, what did I do that was wrong and what did he do that was right? Are we going to have something like Pliny's letter, which is, yes, this was right, you are right, you should be angry, you shouldn't be angry. How would we deal with it? Or are we going to sit around the table where we can look at our mistakes? Yes, we can put it on the table. And then we're going to reason new kingdom foundation thoughts. And from there, we will open our hearts where the one serves the other one, where the one loves the other one, where the number one in both people's lives is the spirit, the very life of God. I forgot to read the last verse there, and this is so beautiful. He ends off this way. He says, But as the same, but at the same time, get a guest room ready for me. I'm hoping you see that through your prayers, I'll be granted to you. So he says, I'm in jail and I thank you that you pray for me while I'm in jail. And I believe that I'll be granted to you. So make a guest room ready that I can come to you. He's also kind of saying that I also can see what, what's going on between you and Onesimus there. Then he goes on and he talks about Epaphras, a fellow prisoner in King Jesus, sends greetings and so does Mark and Erastus, Demas and Luke, my colleagues here. Listen to the last verse. The grace of the Lord, King Jesus, be with your spirit. Spirit doesn't mean just the inner man. Spirit talks about the spirit of your life, how you live, your conduct. The grace of God be with the conduct, with your conduct. And this is how I would like for you to deal with this from the foundation of new creation. We are a church that has received grace. We've received the love of God. We know God does not look at our works every day. He empowers us unto a brand new life. He poured out his life in us. As we behold this, as we look at this, how do we deal with people? Even when we deal with people that we feel have wronged us and that they are not Christians, what would the thought be? It would be kingdom thoughts. It would be thoughts like Paul would write to people that are slaves of people that are not Christians. He would say, do your work in such a way that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ is not blasphemed because of you. Then he would write to uh, slave owners that had slaves that would not be believers. He would say, Treat them in a way where you also know you have a master over you. Can you see how new creation, the kingdom of God, becomes the foundation of reasoning? And that is what I think we as the Grace Church has to grapple with, especially when it comes to our family, our friends, people around us, the workplace, and even in our politics. We need to think these thoughts. We cannot have this world 
and its systems dictate to us how we should feel, think, or reason. We have to come to the place where we realize the, the salvation that we have received, where this salvation is worked out inside the reality of who we truly are in Christ, who Christ is and what he's doing in this earth. Well, thank you so much uh, for allowing me to serve you with this message today. I'm also going to ask you to continue in prayer for us as pertaining to our trip to Zambia, as there are many things that need to be sorted out, as I've explained to you in the beginning of this message. Thank you for everyone. Know that you are deeply blessed, and I know that your prayers will be answered, and we will continue to do our work in Zambia, bringing the gospel to people in that area that desperately need this good news message. We will chat then again as soon as what we have a service, a Sunday service. Other than that, you can just get the messages on the daily devotionals as always. God bless.